0: Good evening, it's a pleasure to worship with you this evening and ponder on Jesus' suffering for us. Chaos. If you would look that word up in the dictionary, one meaning you would find is a state in which behavior or events are not controlled by anything. And you wouldn't have to look it up to know what chaos means because we all are very familiar with chaos, albeit in very different ways in our lives. Maybe you're a parent who feels like you're losing more and more control of your children as they get older and as each day passes. As you grow older, you begin to lose more and more control of your mind and of your thoughts and of your memory. Maybe your body feels like it's in a state of chaos. No behavior, no event can make it better, can control it. You have no power over the errant thoughts of your friends and family. You have no control over the substance that seems to be controlling your life instead. The sin and that, that's in your heart and the sin that's in the world has taken any sense of control that you feel you have, that you thought you had, thrown it right out the window. Chaos reigns supreme. And so we seek peace. We seek a refuge from that chaos. That's why we're here. We know that we find peace here But then, as we listen to the words from John 18, just a little while ago, you might find yourself going, Great! More chaos! Just what I needed. But as we look back at just a few of these verses from John 18, verses 2 through 11, we're going to see that even as Jesus was a prisoner, He was a willing prisoner. It might not sound like such a big deal now, But as we go through, we're going to see that Jesus being a willing prisoner meant that he had control of the chaos that was in his life. That means that he has control of the chaos that's in your life, too. So let's start. Verses 2 and 3 say, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Judas knew where Jesus was going to be because Jesus himself had taken him there. It's likely that every night of Holy Week leading up to this Thursday, this Monday Thursday night, they had gone to the garden to pray, to meditate, to rest. Not only that, but all throughout Jesus' three years of ministry, it's very likely that they went there as often as they could to rest, meditate, and pray. But Jesus doesn't run away. He doesn't go to some place to hide. He goes right where he can be found. He goes there to really wait for Judas to come there. But Judas didn't come come alone. He brought a detachment of soldiers. The word for detachment of soldiers there can mean a group up to 600 men, 600 soldiers. Now that doesn't mean that there were 600 no more, no less marching into this small garden to take Jesus in as a captive. But even if it were 100 men, doesn't that seem a little ridiculous? Kind of brings to mind a picture from Oh Beauty and the Beast or Frankenstein, where the angry mob storms the castle from the city to take down this this dangerous creature, this dangerous uh, hazard to society. But the funny thing is, is these men were taking torches, they were taking weapons to wage war against the Prince of Peace. It's an odd picture really makes you wonder what these men thought of Jesus in the first place. What did the Romans, what did the Jews really think of Jesus? If he was just a man who was guilty of breaking the Sabbath or who was guilty of of breaking tradition that they had created, why send so many people? What in their heart of hearts did these people think of this Jesus character? Let's go on. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Well, let's pause there. We know that Jesus was praying in the garden before this. We know from, all, from the other gospel accounts that Jesus was praying to his Father in heaven about the cup of suffering that he was about to drink. He was about to suffer that cup. Now he's finished with that and he, he goes out and he knows What is coming his way? He knows the pain. He knows the scorn. He knows the shame, the suffering, the chaos that's all coming his way. And I know we can never imagine the amount of suffering, the amount of pain that Jesus would feel on that night within a span of less than 24 hours, really. But I know that even if I knew a small group of people were coming to arrest me for a crime I knew I didn't commit, I'd be out of there. You would not find me in Gethsemane. When pain and suffering and chaos come into our lives, what's our reaction? What's your reaction when you have pain and suffering in your life? We don't like to suffer, that's for sure. No one likes pain. And when we see pain, when we feel pain in our lives, we don't want to go it alone, so we grab someone else and say, Suffer with me. We're not willing to suffer anything, even if we're the cause of that suffering. We're not willing to undergo the punishment for our sin. But look at what Jesus did He went out. He went out to them, even though. He never did a thing that deserved punishment. He went out to be punished. Jesus never sinned in his life. That meant he he never had to be punished. But he willingly goes out to this group. But before he went to his punishment, before he went to that cross, he wanted to make sure that these men understood what they were doing. He wanted to make sure that these men understood who he was. So he speaks to them. He asks them, who is it you want? They reply, Jesus of Nazareth. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. They now knew who they were dealing with. They knew what they were dealing with. Jesus, in this little dialogue, shows exactly what he's capable of. He says, I am, really, in in the original. He just says, I am. We supply the he and we want to fill in the resurrection and the life, the light of the world, the, the way, the truth, and the life. But even without those specific titles, simply I am. These, this large group of men cannot stand against the power that Jesus, Jesus possesses even as the willing prisoner. Jesus showed his power there. But I don't think that's the main reason he knocked these men off their feet with his words. When he said, I am, I think that everyone who was in that garden, including the disciples, understood just a little more of what Jesus was capable of and what he was there to do. Jesus very easily could have run away while they were on on their backs or laying on the ground. He could have run away, but he, he didn't. He couldn't. Jesus could have overthrown that enemy that was coming his way, but he, he didn't. He could have called legions of angels down to, to fight for him. He says that in Matthew's account of this night. But really, first of all, Jesus was in this garden to fulfill prophecy. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53 verse seven, it says he was opposed, or he was oppressed, excuse me, and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Yes, Jesus showed his power, but he also showed his submissive love, the submissive love that was prophesied about right here in this verse. Jesus' power shook the feet of these men, but his love shook their hearts." How vibrant do you think these words of Isaiah were for these men that led the Lamb of God to be slaughtered at the cross? Every time they heard it, they read it, they thought about it, what do you think God was doing in their hearts? Because these were no longer words on a page that meant nothing. They were real actions that were done by a real person That meant everything to them. Think of the Spirit of God working through that action of Jesus, through the words of, of Scripture, all coming together as they go forward from that day. I don't think it would be too big of a shock if when we get to heaven we would see a few Roman soldiers, a few Jewish officials with us one day. Jesus wanted them to be there with him. And it all started with him showing his power to shake their feet and showing his love to shake their hearts. Jesus' love is really why he approached this this mob in the first place. Jesus' love is the reason he came into the world Jesus' love is the reason he comes into your heart. It doesn't matter the size of the chaos or how crazy the chaos is. Jesus cannot turn away and run from chaos like we do. He has to go into it. He goes into it so he can take control of it with his almighty power. More importantly, with his everlasting love. But Jesus' love wasn't just there for The Roman soldiers and the Jewish officials. He shows it to so many other people throughout this account. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. He answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave to me. Jesus is talking about his disciples, his, his brothers, his closest friends that spent three years with him during his ministry. He didn't want his friends to suffer. He knew after his, through his prayer and through all of his life that this cup was his alone, to suffer through, his alone to drink. His disciples would have their cups of suffering later in life. He told James and John that in Mark 10. When they asked to sit on his right and on his left in his kingdom, he said, you, you can't do that. You can't drink the cup I'm going to drink. But you will drink a cup. But that would only happen when the disciples were stronger in their faith, when they understood fully what Jesus did for them when he drank his cup of suffering. And so even though they all met their ends here on earth, Jesus would not lose one of them. Their faith was made sure through his suffering. So now Jesus makes sure that it's all peaceful, everything is under control. That is until Peter decides that he wants a little more chaos. Verses 10 and 11 say, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus' rebuke of Peter, even that is a loving action, a loving, a, sh- a show of love from Jesus. But it's also coupled with his mission because Jesus always had his mission in mind to fulfill prophecy and to show his love to the world. Jesus wasn't done loving people yet. We heard that he healed the, healed the ear of this servant. He showed love to Roman soldiers, to his disciples, to Peter, to an unassuming servant, Also, that he could go to the cross and drink that cup fully at the cross. There he would show his love to the whole world. He would show his love to you. The good shepherd was ready. More than ready, he was willing to lay down his life for you, his sheep. No one could ever take it from him. He would lay it down of his own accord. He would lay it down willingly. Jesus had control of this situation no matter how chaotic it seemed to look at the time. So what does it mean? What does that mean for you? Jesus' sacrifice, his willing sacrifice that we'll hear about throughout this Lenten season does not mean that pain and chaos and suffering are completely out of this world. We know that we are chained. We feel chained and and tethered down by pain and suffering sometimes. Some of you may even ask God, why why do you let me suffer so much? Well, he lets you suffer so you look to Jesus. So that you look to Jesus, the willing prisoner who was chained and led away willingly like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus who endured a world, literally a world full of shame and sin that he didn't deserve. But he took the punishment willingly. He drank every last drop of the cup of suffering so that you would never taste a a bit of that cup that he had. Your Savior loves you. Let his love shake your heart every day and let his power shake your knees and make you drop to your knees in prayer. Because when you pray, Jesus will remind you that even though the world is full of chaos, it's full of sin, he's got it under control. He has you in his ever-loving hands. He will not lose you. Jesus went through, came into our suffering so that we can face our suffering head on. The willing prisoner has freed you. He's freed you from sin. He's freed you from pain, from suffering, from death. So now, there will be sufferings, but those are momentary, just like the Savior's suffering was momentary. But the blessings that come from that suffering, they're eternal. They're waiting for you in heaven. And they're yours. Amen.